All right. Hello, everybody. My name is Mackenzie. I'm Tina. And today is Thursday, April 28th. It is bright blue, sunny skies outside right now. It's about 5 p.m. And we're really excited to have this little chat about um, creativity and child composers in the 18th century alongside um, a discussion about healthcare and nursing, nutrition, chronic illness, and all of those wonderful things. Um, so to get started today, like I had said, Tina is going to be like chatting with us about creativity and child composers in the 18th century. Is that correct? Yes, I'm so excited. Um, we both gave um, presentations on uh, topics. Uh, mine was a little bit more specific, um, child composers, and Mackenzie gave a presentation on her major, which I'm really excited to talk about. But yes, I'm going to talk about child composers a little bit first. Awesome. That's so exciting. Well, I do have a couple questions for you. So to start off with the first question, um, how does studying 18th century music pedagogy, (laughs) my bad, um, make music education more accessible? Yeah, great, great question. Um, I, I realized that in the time of the Enlightenment, that that period, a couple hundred years ago, that um, accessibility was a value that society really wanted to prioritize. So this value being implemented into systems and formal educations and formal treatises of the time from which people could learn allowed children um, in Naples in the 18th century to master the craft of improvisation and keyboard skills in orphanages. And this education made them expert teachers um, able to pass on their knowledge to their students. And it kind of became a generational thing. And that's kind of what made uh, that style of music very, very well known and accepted in society and aesthetically pleasing in society because so many people learned about it um, in that way. And being a, a musical person was a very valued and intellectually sought out trait at the time. Um, so I think revitalizing kind of this lost art of learning and this style of learning would revive the way people see and understand music um, today based on that historical approach that really values aesthetics and it really values um, kind of universal, a universal style of learning. Um, And there are a lot of free resources online uh, that I think are great that even like amateur um, musicians can use to kind of get acclimated with 18th century techniques. Um, and this is this includes like the partimenti.org website and the Training Child Composers YouTube channel. Um, these are just great resources that people can use to get started learning about this really, really cool topic. And you would have to have a little bit of um, background knowledge of basic music theory and how to read music and maybe some familiarity with the keyboard. But um, that's how I think, um, music education can be more success, uh, accessible now at this time. That's awesome. I really appreciate all your insight. That is so cool to hear about. Yeah, sure thing. Um, so my second question for you mm-hmm. um, is how would you encourage your fellow students to enculturate themselves with historical approaches to what they study now? I would encourage um, people to talk to their professors about what they have on their own bookshelves. Um, I learned that reading what my professor studied when he was my age by asking him, you know, what, what did, what did you like to read when you were 20 or what, what are you reading now? Can I take a look at, at 
your repertoire of literature that you've collected over your long academic career to getting your doctorate. Um, so yeah, I learned that um, what he read when he was my age really developed his, his own musicianship. And it's very highly influenced by what he was taught by his own former professor, Robert Yerdigan, who wrote books, huge books, hugely influential books like Music in the Gallant Style and his Child Composer's book. Um, and what I've also taken from that, um, just from learning about how my, my professor read, how much he read and what I'm reading now, um, I'm learning that these studies, even though they're not specific to the double bass, all of the principles and the techniques and the theories that they teach me are really highly applicable to my own development of ear training and musical intuition and understanding harmony and accompaniment, the, the art of accompaniment as a basis as a whole, as a musician, which is really, really beneficial and great. So I think if anybody is ever feeling stuck about what they're learning in their classes alone, if they're feeling kind of like they're just on this one way train um, in their education, I would just say like, don't forget, you can't, you can't read enough, you know, and don't be afraid to be courageous and seek what you want to learn and seek, seek fun, seek extracurricular studies. I think that would really enrich everyone's education, especially during this time, these trying times. Yes, no, I 100% agree. The literature is where it's at. Yes, um, yes. Um, thank you so much for your questions, Mackenzie. Yeah, of course. I would love to turn it over to you now and shift our discussion towards creativity in nutrition, chronic illness and nursing. You gave such an incredible presentation um, in all of these facets you have going on in your life, you connected them and blended them so well. And I can't wait for our, our fellow peers who are listening to hear um, your insights on your presentation and your outlook in the, in the healthcare field. So I'd like to ask my first question to you. What does creativity within nursing and the healthcare field look like in a clinical setting? Um, well, so to begin this project presentation assignment, um, I went and I spoke with a couple different um, professors that I had. So I spoke with multiple nursing professors that I am currently like working with um, and professors that I will continue to work with throughout the nursing program. I spoke with two different um, nutrition professors and then a kinesiology professor as well. So I just tried to get like a full scope of, um, well, not a full scope, but like a pretty comprehensive scope of the healthcare field so that I could talk more in like general terms that like people would be able to like, um, access. So I find that like, after interviewing many of my professors, each with their own perspective in their field of the health of the healthcare system, um, creativity in the clinical setting looks really different for everybody. Um, for some, it looks like improving, um, critical thinking skills and clinical judgments, um, for others, it looks like allowing yourself to bring your own personal passions into your work. Um, what I found most important, though, is the need for professionals to meet their patients where they're at um, and see them for the person and like raw human being that they are, not just another person on a checklist that they have to see that day. Um, so in my personal opinion, creativity looks like allowing yourself the freedom to bring your passion into your work and to, into your practice while still understanding the need for professionality as well as critical and clinical judgment and expertise. 
I would also, um, just based on what you said there, I wanted to ask you, um, yeah, what is it like for you in your grade, where you are at now with your studies to distinguish um, in a clinical setting a person versus seeing them as like as another case study, kind of like you said, like how how difficult is it for you to kind of see the humanity in a person rather than just approach it like it's another problem, a really complex problem you have to solve? Yeah, that's a really good question. And um, that's something that I asked my, the professors that I was working with mm-hmm. um, for this project and interviewing. And it's a, it's a continual conversation that I have because I'm a chronic illness minor as well. So in the classes that I'm taking, they're being taught by nursing, but also like nutrition and kinesiology professors like that. So, um, gives a pretty comprehensive scope, but it's, it's difficult when you're in a learning situation like this, because a lot of the practice that goes on in the undergraduate setting prior to being in the nursing program, which I will start next fall, Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's very literature based. So there's like a lot of, it might be like a real person. Like we've done multiple case studies in this, for example, this nutrition combined with kinesiology class that I'm in right now, Mm -hmm. we do a lot of case studies and that's all like a comprehensive, just like document full of information about a person, right? We get a picture of them. We get like their history, family history, what their diet looks like on a three-day basis, just like as much information as possible, we get a bunch of measurements and lab reports and things like that. And then there's like a bunch of questions that we have to answer, um, plans that we have to come up with nutrition recommendation, exercise recommendations, like how this applies to specific chronic illnesses and things like that. And so when I am like sitting in this class, working with my group, trying to dissect this person that we've been given Mm. and all of the questions to go along with the assignment, I find that like, it's really important to like imagine myself in a clinical setting, like even wearing like scrubs or whatever it may be. Um, and like, as if I'm like talking to this person and sitting here and like looking at it and like, not only as if I'm like with that person, but also how I would speak to them. Like a lot of what differentiating like a human being, a person besides just somebody to see and like check box for the day mm-hmm. is the way that you speak to them. Cause like, for example, if I was to use medical jargon mm-hmm. and like a lot of like confusing terms that a lay person probably doesn't know, then that patient may leave the office with a lot of confusion and no answered questions. So I think like one of the, one of the biggest ways to like meet your patient where they are and like treat them like another person that you're talking to is to like use your professionality to help that person. But in order to really deliver that help, it has to be said and kind of discussed with your patient in a way that's accessible to them. So that's really just kind of like getting to know who they are, why they are the way they are, and like how they can best understand what you're trying to say to them and what kind of prognosis you're trying to give them Mm -hmm. um, while still like being professional. And yeah. I think I never realized how much mental practice it really takes to be able to kind of differentiate, like just seeing a name on a page and like another problem versus like actually interacting with the patient and, and giving them a full like experience that doesn't leave them confused. Yeah. I yeah. Always it's thought. a very like essential process that um, mm-hmm. has like newly been introduced, like the way that you speak to oh. patients and things like that. Like it's, a, it's critical. And sometimes it kind of takes that clinical mind, like mm-hmm. separating yourself, like, okay, I can't talk 
in normal terms right now, I really just need to bounce ideas off of other medical professionals and just kind of like get an idea, like, what is this? Maybe I'm having trouble figuring out what the diagnosis is and something like that. So I really, maybe I do need to speak in that medical jargon and kind of like run it through my brain, run it through my colleagues' brains and things like that. And then once I figure that out, just kind of take a step back, figure out how I'm going to deliver this, what resources can I provide, and then go and speak with the patient or call them or ask them to come in, make an appointment, something like that, so that you can really like explain to them like how you can be a help and how they can help themselves. Well, like everything, everything you just said just seems so thoughtful. Um, because you know, like in a lot of, sorry, I don't mean to, um, kind of, I'm just so interested in, in what you just said. Um, but in, in some medical shows and that's, that's another point I wanted to, like, I I don't know, that's not realistic at all, but doctors and nurses and healthcare professionals seem so quick to come up with things, but what you just explained to me just seems so thought and also very quick. You have to be very, you know, quick witted to come Mm -hmm. up with solutions, Um, but it's kind of like they have this instantaneous knowledge, but no, it takes planning and it takes very critical thinking and, and, and conscientious thinking too, which I I just think is really wonderful. Thank you for kind of giving behind the scenes. My next question I wanted to ask you, um, is what does creativity within nursing and the healthcare field look like from a personal perspective? So from your personal perspective, um, So when I think about like my personal perspective, I definitely think that like passion is a really big thing. Um, But when I was going through all of these interviews with these individuals and like these wonderful professionals that I have the, um, that I'm so fortunate to learn from, Mm -hmm. um, I asked them the question, like, what does creativity look like in a clinical setting? And what does creativity look like in your life, considering Mm -hmm. your work in a clinical setting? And um, what I found really interesting was that most of the professors that I was speaking with had a lot more to say about the creativity in their personal life um, than in the clinical setting. And I think that's just kind of like the like natural human tendency to like relate and be compassionate with other people, um, which is why I think it's so important to like, like I was talking about earlier, like meet your patient where they are. Like you have to have that compassion in a field where it's all about helping people. Um, But yeah, so what I've learned from my professors and the physicians and just wonderful individuals within the healthcare field, um, is that many professionals enjoy participating in activities and experiences that align with their professional beliefs and practice. Um, so like the recommendations that they'll give, they probably are already doing themselves. Um, so for example, my nutrition and kinesiology professors that I, um, am currently learning from right now, really enjoy being active, cooking and enjoying nutritious and nourishing foods as well as spending time with their children, being outside, um, just things like that. And like even traveling and things like that, just kind of being like culturally aware as well. Um, so most individuals and professionals that are like within their field are personally passionate about their practice. And this is reflected in their personal habits, um, which I think is really cool. Um, and I assume that, like I said, this is, um, strong and driving motivator for individuals to enter this field of study and work. And it certainly is like a motivator for me. I'm like extremely passionate about nutrition and that's why I picked up a chronic illness minor and have like really been focusing on nutrition classes. I love testing new foods, cooking new things, baking new things. Like it is such a big passion of mine and just kind of like overall wellness is something that I've always been interested in, Mm -hmm. um, taking care of your body, nourishing your body. And yeah, I just, 
I think that when you're talking to somebody who is a professional, it's important to realize like not only do your patients have lives behind what you see in the doctor's office, but your physicians have lives too. Like they are humans. They're not just somebody that can spit answers out at you. So like when you really get to relate on that personal level while still maintaining a professional status and relationship with your patient, like that's when you can really like break that barrier and like help somebody because you're relating to them. That's what humans crave is like being able to relate and be compassionate with others. So I think like when you're able to do that as a professional, it helps your patients be able to do that. And I think that's where passion comes in. So that's like my personal perspective is like how passion enters the work because how interested you are in it, or just because how like you're able to meet your patients. That is so wonderful to hear just how you can, your own personal interests will affect how you touch other people's lives. Um, when, when you were speaking on that, I was thinking, wow, like classical musicians, it's so funny because like you were saying how a lot of healthcare professionals you included are interested in things that you also want kind of want to study in a personal life, like act, act, activity and, and wellness. Yeah. I've, I've, I know a lot of people, including myself at times that don't listen to music outside of studying music, or they don't want anything to do with music, or they don't want to listen to classical music and they want to listen to completely different genres of music and that that can be a bass player thing because bassists are very multidisciplinary mm-hmm. play a lot of different genres but I think um that's what separates like an art art studies and like healthcare studies and science because and that's what makes classical music elitist like when people want nothing to do with popular music because all they do is classical music then there's this disconnect between people because popular music is the music of today mm-hmm. so any musician who like doesn't want anything to do with any music because all they do is study like Bach harmony and everything. It's, it's kind of just like this crazy juxtaposition of music is for everyone. Music is the universal language, but the musicians themselves who are sharing the music have these biases that are preventing them from connecting with others. And so yeah. about how um, you and your professors and healthcare professionals um, are interested in things that are kind of close to what they do and their profession and the career is just really really cool and how I noticed that um strange disconnect and music that musicians have sometimes too yeah and I noticed like sometimes like physicians do have that disconnect like there are some people that are like recommending this diet for people and then they turn around and go and have a bag of chips for lunch like that's just how it is sometimes that's how life rolls but hey like there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And like, I just find that this is like, what's most common is that like most physicians and people that enter this field, Mm -hmm. enter this field because they have an interest and because they're already like engaging with that kind of material just in like everyday life. So. Yes. And that's a beautiful thing too. Um, Like that's something I think about in in music too. Like how, how much of this profession is a personal choice? Like Mm -hmm. how much are people playing music because they work so hard at music rather than because they want to share it? Um, just something I think about a lot. So yeah. that's really cool. I'd love to ask you my last question. Um, how does passion integrate with the healthcare field? Um, so I think like throughout like this whole conversation, I've definitely been like emphasizing passion and things like that. And I think like that's how you get to like go to work, but have it not feel like work, like find what you love mm-hmm. and make it work, like right. figure out how to make money. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that like 
I'm lucky enough to be able to have like known so like early on that like, this is what I am passionate about. This is what I want to do. This is what I'm going to be happy to wake up for every single day for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so like passion is like such a huge thing for me, which is why I keep touching on it. But, um, passion and work in the healthcare field can be integrated very fluidly. Um, if individuals allow themselves the freedom to do so, um, this connects back to the earlier question that we talked about, about creativity and clinical practice, how that looks different for everybody. Um, some professionals look more towards clinical judgment, critical thinking, and the expertise approach, kind of like a very sterile relationship that's not like, so how was your day today? But like having a conversation with your patients before like diving in being like, so what's wrong? Um, which I think is very important. Like, I don't want to just be like a, a 15 minute time slot in your schedule for the day. Like ask me how I am and figure out like what's going on. And I feel, I feel like when you meet your patient there and you're able to do that, have that kind of conversation and like figure out like, okay, well, what did they do before they came and saw me? Like, are they, are they already flustered? Like, are they going to remember to tell me all this information that I need to know in order to make like an educated, um, diagnosis and stuff like, or like prognosis or like figure out how to help them or further help them. And so I think it's really important to kind of like have that initial conversation that you would do with like elevator conversation. How are you today? How, how was work? Things like that. Just like normal conversations that humans would have. Um, like I was talking about earlier. Um, Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but it can be a very high stress situation, right? Isn't that true? If I'm a patient and I'm waiting to hear if I have a really bad terminal illness and it's kind of like one of many meetings and you have to come in and give me like the news. Yeah. I, I feel, would you also say that like those kinds of more casual, a little bit more understanding conversations would kind of lighten the mood in, in those tense situations? I definitely think that kind of just like sitting down, like being on the same level as Mm -hmm. the patients or the family members or whoever you're speaking to in this, um, clinical setting. Like I think taking away the, the authority that you have in like knowing this information and having to tell it to your patient, whether it be positive or negative, I think kind of just like leveling the playing field and allowing yourself like the opportunity to just like take a breath and realize like you're talking to a human and whether you're going to tell them good or bad information, like you need to have compassion and like realize how that may affect them. So I think like in these negative settings, like maybe you are delivering terrible information that nobody wants to receive Mm -hmm. that maybe you do sit down and you're like, how are you today? How are you feeling? Have you had something to eat recently? Do you need some water? Like, how did you sleep last night? Things like that. So that you're kind of aware of like the state that they're in before you tell them this like life-changing information. And not all times sure. when you have a conversation with the patient, it's going to be like astronomically life-changing, you know, but like in those situations where it is like, I think it is so important to be able to have these conversations and like, not only does having that conversation help you understand what their reaction may be and how you can better support them, mm-hmm. but also like what your reaction is going to be to their reaction. You know, Mm -hmm. like when you deliver that, there's like a certain level of like support that you have to give this person that you just like, you can't just like sit down and be like, here's the information, get up and walk away. Like there's like a certain level of professionality, but also support that you have to provide this person that you're speaking to. So I think like in that situation, it's so important to be like, not casual, but like Mm -hmm. just kind of like down to earth. Yeah. Down to earth, real, raw, just like 
understanding that I understand that this could be hard for you. So Mm -hmm. I'm like, I understand and I'm here to support you. Mm -hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, I am your physician and I have to be professional and it's my job to deliver this. I wish I didn't have to, or Mm -hmm. this is great news is I'm so excited to tell you this. And you tell them like, how was your day? And they tell you it was bad. And you're like, okay, well, it's about to get better because you have good news for them. Just kind of like knowing what you're kind of entering when you have information to share with a patient like that. So, yeah. Um, but to continue, I appreciate that question. That was awesome. Um, so like I said, some professionals look more towards clinical judgment, critical thinking and expertise, kind of like separating themselves so that they can kind of like just use that like medical brain, like use the jargon, whatever it is so that they can think process the information that they're receiving all of these different lab results and things like that. Um, well, other professionals require a more adjustable approach that encourages creative thinking in order to best help the patient or the client. Sometimes you have the information in front of you. It's very clear, but there isn't like a way for you to help them very clearly. You have to like really think and like maybe bounce ideas off of other people consider like maybe get more information from the patient, like what their day-to-day life looks like lifestyle, things like that. So that you can like figure out the best way to support a patient and it's not going to look the same for everybody. So kind of taking a step back and like using that creative mind is like so important and supporting your patient long-term so that they can then support themselves. I think that that is so important. Um, so passion is involved in all aspects of this work, um, because it takes a lot of dedication and care to enter and also continue work in this kind of clinical setting across the entire healthcare, um, system, whether it's somebody working in exercise science, working as, um, a dietitian, a nurse, a doctor, a surgeon, whatever it may be. Um, it takes a lot of work and a lot of care for other people, people that you may not even know, um, to continue and even enter this field of study. Um, so yeah, passion drives creativity in this setting as well as, um, is a critical aspect that not only healthcare professionals, but all professionals, I feel like should include in their personal and professional work. And I definitely, I can definitely see that in like the way that you present your work on like child composers in the 18th century and things like that, like being a double bassist and things like that. Like, I think not only the way that you present it, but even just like how educated you are. I felt like sometimes I was like, even just like sitting there, like getting lost. It was like, felt like it was like a whole new world that I was entering. Like, oh my gosh, there's so much wonderful information. I have no idea what some of these worlds, like words mean, but like, I can tell like how much passion that you have for this. And I just, it makes me so excited because like, I can so like holistically relate to that like level of passion that I like have for my studies and things like that. So like, I have no doubt that you'll be able to bring that to your career for the rest of your life, wherever it takes you. Oh my gosh. Thank you, Mackenzie. Um, I have to say you're so driven. You're so creative, so ambitious. I love to see it. I love seeing a young woman be so passionate and talented and smart in her studies. And I look up to, I look up to what you do. Um, It's seeing, being with students like you makes me want to continue being in the sciences. And that's why I'm trying to pursue a science minor at JMU in addition to music, because I, I get to work with such great peers. Yeah. This is just such, such a great. Are you, I, I'm sorry, are you a pre-professional like PT? Or I, was, track? I was on the pre-PA track Okay. until this semester, because I realized I wouldn't be able to take all of the like anatomy and, and more health science geared classes and be yeah. able to graduate in four years. But I'm, I changed to a biochem minor. Okay. That's what I'll be doing now. 
Um, awesome. Yeah. That is so fun. Well, thank you so much for having this like wonderful conversation with me. I thought it was so beneficial. Um, there was so much like wonderful, like wisdom and just like information that we were able to share with each other. Um, Thanks. and thank you to all of our listeners. Um, we appreciate you taking this time to listen, um, yes. to this wonderful conversation. Um, so yeah.